Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And before we dive in, I want us to consider something. How did we get here? Not how did we get here this morning. We drove here. We rode with somebody here. right? But how did our church get here? Have you ever thought about that? Our church started in 2002 as the plant of another church who sent people and had people in this county and they wanted to establish a presence here, right, where they could make a difference in this community. But think about this. Our mother church that started us was started by another church that was started by another church that was started by another church. And on and on and on it goes all the way back to the day of Pentecost when the church was born. Though our church is only around 21 years old, all churches stand on the shoulders of churches that came before. We follow in the example of those who lived faithfully and sent and went from another church to start this church in a community. While our churches may look different, the mission stays the same. See, I think we're often confused about the mission of the church because we think the mission of the church is simply to get more people to come to a building, to build a bigger building, to get more butts in the seats, right? But the mission of the church is really to create more faithful churches in our community. Some would say we have too many churches. There's around 40 or so in our county, depending on how you're counting, right? But I saw a stat this week. Only 23% of Trigg County residents attend church on a Sunday morning. So that means around 77% of our county is not connected to church and likely not connected to Christ. So I'd ask this, is it that we have too many churches or do we not have enough churches doing what God has called them to do? See, so often we think the mission of the church is to build a bigger sheep pen, right? To just gather all the Christians to be the latest, hot, and coolest thing that everybody's going to. But we're in the conversion business, seeing goats turned to sheep, the lost turned to found. And this means, friends, and I tell people this often, we are not in competition with other faithful gospel-preaching churches, we are not in competition with other churches in the community. We're not trying to steal members or be the latest places that all the Christians go. And there's a couple reasons for that. First, it's because, friends, the hottest thing often burns out the quickest and in the most spectacular way. <laughs> Two, friends, if you build a church on the back of disgruntled Christians and then you become surprised down the road, they'll become disgruntled with you as well. Also, the New Testament picture was of individual churches cooperating together on mission. They weren't in competition for one another. And finally, because the local church exists to reach the lost and grow the found, not to just sort of swap sheep every 10 years. And we cooperate with 22 other like-minded churches, and they're like-minded both in doctrine and in practice. That's why we're a part of the Little River Association, because we believe churches are better together. 
we reach more people with our arms locked together in the trenches than with our hands raised in battle against one another. And yet each church remains independent. We cooperate together, but our church has no say over what another church down the street says or does and vice versa. From Pentecost to today, each local church carries the keys of the kingdom over their own body. That's what we've been exploring over the last several weeks, right? That each local church is ultimately governed by its membership, who have the authority and responsibility of the keys of the kingdom to bind and loose, to grow their body and obey the Great Commission. And we're back in week three of a, ser- of a series looking at the keys of the kingdom, looking at what Jesus teaches about the local church. And we started by considering in Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus established the church on the apostles and their confession, and he gave them the keys of the kingdom to bind and to loose in the kingdom of God. Jesus then went on in Matthew chapter 18 to say that apostolic authority the keys of the kingdom had been given to the local church. Jesus gives the keys to the membership of the church to bind and loose in the kingdom of God. And we illustrated this by thinking of the local church as the supreme court, that the membership of the, of the body, of the local body, is responsible to interpret and apply God's word and to affirm or reject someone's confession of faith based on that word. The keys don't lie with popes or presidents, but with members of a local body. And last week, we connected up the keys with the ordinances, that the local church uses the keys when we baptize and we take the Lord's Supper, because through them, we are affirming one another's confession of faith. Local churches are like embassies of the kingdom of heaven here in this world, And embassies don't have the power to make you a citizen, but they do have the power to recognize that you are a citizen. And that's what baptism and the Lord's Supper do when the local church takes them. It's a stamp on the passport of the kingdom of God. And we talked a lot last week about how to carefully and wisely baptize and give communion and use the keys. And today, I want to put it all together because The keys don't just appear in Matthew 16 and 18 and then drop off the face of the earth. In fact, they don't even end with Matthew chapter 26 when Jesus establishes the Lord's Supper. But rather, the keys of the kingdom follow all the way through the gospel of Matthew to the end of the book and to our mission as a church. So let's look together, Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. The word of God says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of God. And if you've been in church much through your life, you've heard this text talk about, right? This is the infamous Great Commission, the marching orders of the church, our mission, our central focus. However, a church might explain 
its mission statement, it must be grounded and rooted in these words of Jesus. And truly, these words bring together everything we've been seeing about the local church, our responsibility as members, and the authority that the risen Christ has given the local church as embassies of the kingdom of heaven. So I want us to look at this text in a familiar and fresh way. Again, we're putting it all together, and there are five alls that help us to put this all together over the last several weeks. And the first thing we see is this, Jesus has all authority. We've got to start there. Jesus has all authority. Look at verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All of it. Remember, this comes at the end of the Gospels. Jesus has died in the place of sinners. He's been buried in a borrowed tomb. He's risen on the third day, and he's appeared before his disciples and before hundreds of witnesses, and the risen and resurrected Christ is standing there and declaring his own authority. And friends, I will listen to a man who died and came back to life. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And this encompasses everything. Things above, things below, things here, things there. The kingdoms of the world and the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is king. The words of the Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper sums this up well. I love this. He said this, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence with which Christ, who is Lord of all, does not cry, mine. It's all his. He owns it. He is the king of everything. Recall Peter, when Jesus first established the church, he confessed that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God. That is the foundation on which the church is built, that Jesus is king, Jesus is the boss. We we can only follow Jesus when we first recognize the authority of Jesus. The whole Christian life begins with a confession that Jesus is Lord, He's the boss. What he says goes above and beyond what the world may tell us or even what we may feel. Jesus is king over all, and he's king over the church. Remember, it was Jesus who gave the keys to the church, which means they were his to begin with. And he's the one who has the authority and is ultimately in charge. These words here at the end of the Gospel of Matthew bring together countless prophecies from the Old Testament about the rule and reign of the Messiah. Psalm chapter 2 speaks of the Messiah reigning in heaven and laughing at the nation's attempts to overthrow him. Daniel chapter 7 shows a vision of the Son of Man, which is Jesus' favorite term for himself. And we see this. He's presented before the Ancient of Days, and this happens, Daniel 7, 14. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Friends, he's greater than anyone who sits in the White House because he sits on the white throne. He's greater than any king because he's the king of kings. He is the one who rules over everything. Jesus is Lord whether you submit to him as Lord or not. 
he is in charge. And notice the disciples even recognize this and recognize that by Jesus being Lord, it's saying he is God himself. Many stood there and they see the scars in his hands and in his feet and he was dead three days ago and now he's standing before them and it says they worshiped and some doubted. He is risen from the dead, the Lord of life and the Lord over death, the king of creation and the king of the cosmos. God in the flesh is right in front of them and it's so important we understand this because it is this king who has given us the great commission the one over whom everything works according to his word has given us something to do not a great suggestion not a great question but a great commission a call to action here we see Jesus' last words, at least his last words of his earthly ministry. And friends, his last words ought to be our first priority. And he's in many ways repeating the call of Adam in the garden. Go, take dominion over all things. And take dominion for your king. He has authority, so we're to go and declare that authority to the nations. That's the first all we have to realize. Jesus has all authority. Not me, not you, Jesus, and he's given us his word, and he has all authority over everything. But then we need to see the second all. The second all is this, that Jesus, the king of all, commanded us to make disciples of all nations. That the one who has all authority has commanded us to make disciples of all nations. Verse 19, look at this. Go, therefore, therefore meaning in light of what I just said about my authority, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, he goes on to say. The central command here is make disciples, and it's modified by three verbs, go, baptize, and teach. Here Jesus is telling us what to do and a simple guide of how to do it. He says, in order to make disciples, we first got to go. We got to go with the gospel. We don't spread the dominion of Christ through military force or through political power. We spread it through the proclamation of his word. Jesus sends us out to speak of the good news of what he has said and done. To plant the seeds and trust God to water and make it grow. The keys of the kingdom give each of us the responsibility and authority to preach the good news of Jesus. That's one of the ways we use the kingdom. We open the kingdom of heaven up by saying he is the way, the truth, and the life. And you can go to heaven by trusting in Jesus. Not by going through all of these works, but by placing your faith in his death, burial, and resurrection on your behalf. We share the message of Jesus with someone. They come to believe and follow him. They're made into a disciple. Then they share and somebody believes and on and on and on it goes. The gospel is meant to be contagious. And as key holders in the kingdom of heaven, it is the church's job to preach the gospel. Let me tell you something, the mission agencies are great. There's nothing wrong with them. But friends, the Great Commission has been given to the church. In fact, consider, yes, in in Matthew chapter 28, you'll see the Great Commission was given to the apostles, 
right? They're there before the risen Christ. He's speaking to them. But as we saw, friends, the keys that were given to the apostles were passed on to the local church. So the commission given to the apostles is passed on to the local church. And this means that the Great Commission is not solely an individual responsibility. It's a shared responsibility, It's something we do together, and it doesn't stop with just going. We need to go, and we need to go to the countless numbers of people in our community and throughout the world who do not know the gospel, but it does not stop there. If God wanted us to simply get saved and nothing more, we'd get saved and go straight to heaven. And for most of us, that isn't how it works, right? For most of us, God saves us and leaves us here to continue living for him. And that's why he says we're to go and then we're to baptize. Believers are baptized. We talked about baptism last week, right? That's where the keys come into play again. New disciples are baptized to declare to the world what Jesus has done for them. But they're also baptized into a community where that declaration is heard and recognized and affirmed. When he begins to talk about baptism, Jesus says the church comes into play. To have baptism is to have the local church, and the call to baptize disciples from the nations is a call to plant churches among the nations. In fact, the Great Commission is not just a call to save individuals, but to build churches to put key holders in places where they can use and in their communities where they can use the keys within their own local churches. The Great Commission cannot be accomplished without the local church, and it will not be accomplished without more local churches, particularly local churches that are serious about the mission. And then notice, those who are baptized and are brought into a local community, he says, are taught... Disciples are made when we go, we baptize, and we teach. The local church is the venue for discipleship. And it isn't an option if we want to be faithful followers of Jesus. The church is the place we can be taught together in community. Yes, taught by qualified leaders who know the Bible, but also in a way that we teach one another. Everything we do when we come together is meant to teach from the scriptures we read at the beginning to the songs that we sing when we teach, when we take the Lord's Supper. We're even supposed to teach when we're having conversations before and after and we teach by how we live. And if we don't have a local church, we're missing out on a necessary piece of the Great Commission. We're to make disciples of all the nations, establishing churches that are going to do the work of going, baptizing and teaching. And he brings up a particular point about teaching that brings us to the third all. Jesus has all authority. He's commanded us to make disciples of all the nations. And third, Jesus commands us to teach all he commanded. Jesus commands us to teach all that he has commanded. Do you notice that in verse 20? Make disciples, the church goes, baptizes, then he says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded. Notice a couple things. First, notice the scope of Jesus' teaching. He says, teach all that he commanded. Friends, you can't just get that on one Sunday morning. You probably can't even get that in a year's worth of Sunday mornings. This takes a lifetime. Disciples take a long time to be made. 
And this is why we devote ourselves here to verse-by-verse preaching through books of the Bible. Because we need all of God's word, friends. It takes a whole Bible to make a whole disciple. And so we need everything Jesus said. And it's important to remember that Jesus inspired the whole book. The red letter Bible might have you think Jesus only said the words on the back third, at least a few, a few words on the back third of the book. But friends, the whole book should be read. Jesus was, is the God who inspired and spoke the words of the Old Testament. Jesus himself quotes the Old Testament and says it is inspired, infallible, inerrant. And if Jesus believes it, that's enough for me. And even in John chapter 14, on the night before his death, he promises that the Holy Spirit would inspire the New Testament through the apostles. So friends, Jesus wrote the whole book, Genesis to Revelation, and he calls us to teach the whole word to the whole world. To take all of Christ to all of Cades and to all the world, that everyone might know all he has to say. But notice also the goal of the teaching. We teach all that he says, but also we're to teach it toward obedience, toward life change, toward walking the walk, not just talking the talk. Because we can't do what we don't know. So we need all of God's word. And that's why we also need teaching aimed toward application. Did you know the sermon isn't meant to primarily be a lecture, but a call to action? Friends, and if you've ever had somebody who just regurgitates facts to you from the pulpit, I'm sorry that it happened to you, but that guy didn't preach until application began. So he began to say, this is what you must do. Then, friends, he has not truly preached the word. And I pray I've helped you in that goal to be for a call to action, not just knowledge for knowledge's sake, but knowledge put to work and transforming your life and conforming our life to Christ. And then consider the context of this teaching. He said that the disciples are preached to, they hear and believe, They're baptized into a community of faith, and then they're taught everything Jesus commanded. We see the same pattern in the book of Acts, particularly Acts chapter 2. Look what what happens there. So those who received the word were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Did you notice the order? The order is very important. They received the word. They then were baptized. They're then brought into the local church. They're added to their number. Then they're inundated with teaching, fellowship, and the breaking of bread, which I take to be the Lord's Supper. Friends, the teaching Jesus has in mind takes place in the context of a local church where we can grow and be known and be challenged to walk as a disciple. Friends, hear this, the local church is central to your walk with Christ. God's plan for your life is that you might be connected to other believers in a local community of faith. The same way God's plan for the antelope is that he would not wander off too far when there are lions seeking to devour him. And friends, and if you're not a part of a community of faith, then friends, you're the antelope and there is a lion and you're missing out on God's best, and to be able to properly fulfill Jesus' marching orders. But when you think about the Great Commission, you're likely thinking this is an impossible task. 
not just reaching all the nations with the gospel, but he says we also need to teach and apply everything Jesus commanded, and we need to plant local churches that are healthy and faithful in those communities. Friends, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a lot to get done. This is a massive, unfinished task, and it's an incredible reality as we think about the need in the world. We've been doing this for 2,000 years, and there are still people on earth today with no access to the gospel, much less local churches among them, where Jesus' teaching is being taught and applied. We cannot accomplish this on our own. So we have to take a deep breath, right? That's why Jesus gives lots of local churches to accomplish this. That's why he didn't just build one big mecca that we all sort of come to, but rather we're to work together, lock arms with like-minded churches, and we're to get to the mission, and we're to do our own small piece to be wise and to be good stewards of how we can impact the world for Christ. There is a massive, unfinished business ahead of us, and it could be tempting to give up hope. And I believe Jesus knows that that temptation is there for us, and that's why he offers us the comfort at the end of the commission. Notice the fourth all. He says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here's the fourth point. Jesus promises to be with us always. Jesus promises to be with us always. Friends, Jesus here promises his presence. The greatest resource the people of God have is the presence of God. And Matthew wants to make this clear because he's bookended his gospel with the message of Jesus' presence. He opens his gospel with the Christmas story, right? And he says Jesus is the Emmanuel, God with us. In the middle of the book, you see Matthew chapter 18, and he says in, in, in the context of the local church, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And now he says, hey, as you go to the ends of the earth, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus has not left us alone to fulfill the great commission. Jesus is with his church in its mission all the time, everywhere. And that's why we can have certainty of Matthew 16, 18. Jesus says he will build his church and the gates of hell will never prevail against us. He has given us a stamp of authority and responsibility and a promise and a certainty that this mission will be completed. Jesus has guaranteed it. And if you want that assurance that this mission will be completed, Jesus has actually given it to you. He's given us a glimpse of the end. Isn't it great? As, sometimes it can be really great as you're watching the movie play out to know there's a happy ending at the end. And friends, the God, the God has given us a glimpse of the end of the story and we're on the winning team and we have a mission that is certain to be completed. Look over at the book of Revelation, chapter 7. And just look at this vision that John gives. There's a lot in the book of Revelation that's very unclear. This is very clear. 
John, after this I looked and behold, a great multitude no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and around the four living creatures and they fell on their face before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. Can I tell you something? When we were just singing a little bit ago, that's what we were joining in with. That's what we were joining in with, with what's always going on in heaven. And God has given us a vision of heaven to encourage us to use the keys of the kingdom of heaven so that everyone might know Jesus and come to serve him and love him for all eternity. Jesus says the mission will be accomplished. Do not fear, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. And we can be encouraged and empowered in this mission because Jesus promises to be with us and guarantees our success. And friends, this doesn't lead us to laziness, but rather leads us to press forward in faith, trusting in the promises of Matthew chapter 16. He, he says, hey, be, be, know that I'm accomplishing everything in the end, and so be serious about building healthy churches that are serious about using the keys, serious about the ordinances, serious about, about, yes, reaching more people, but also growing in depth. And that takes a long time. It takes a long time. That's why Jesus always uses agriculture uh, metaphors in the Bible. It takes a long time to grow a crop. And it takes a long time to build a church and to grow healthy disciples but Jesus says it's worth it. He will build his church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Through every danger, toil, and snare, Jesus promises to be with us. In the mountaintops and in the valleys, in the good days and in the bad days, Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. And friends, this means that if we as a church are seeking to faithfully follow Jesus, then our brightest days as a church are always ahead of us. Never behind us. So many churches get stuck looking behind at the good old days. Friends, the good old days isn't until Jesus returns. The good old days are always ahead of us. And so that means we must press forward seeking to be faithful because faithfulness is what success looks like. Friends, so often people think a successful church is measured by how many butts you can get in the seats but rather we're to measure by how many healthy disciples we have who are making other disciples. Sometimes we measure our spiritual success by how busy we are engaged in spiritual sounding activities rather than being engaged in the difficult and dirty work of discipleship. Christ has all authority and he's called his church to make disciples of all nations, to teach them all that he's commanded, and he promises to be with us always in the mission. But there's a fifth all. Do, do you see it? It's there. It's in there. Now, it might not be explicit in the text, but it is implicit behind the text. Here it is. 
we all have a role to play in the Great Commission. Every single one of us has a role to play. The keys were given to the apostles, then passed on to the local church and to the membership. That means all of us who are part of a local church have been given this responsibility to be part of the Great Commission. Every disciple is meant to make more disciples. Every member is meant to be engaged in ministry. The mission of God is not reserved for a select few, but distributed among all God's people to reach all people for Christ. He says, we, you, us, y'all, we all together have a role to play in the kingdom of God. We are a body with many members. And this means, friends, the church is not a place for consumers, but a place where we all contribute in our own unique ways. God has blessed you with gifts in order that you might bless others with the gospel. But the church can only work if each of us are doing our own part. This is what Paul says to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. Look at this. He says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, We're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When each part is working properly, the church grows together. Yes, outwardly, we reach more people but we also grow and mature more together. There are, there are churches that are great at drawing a crowd and maybe even getting people to come to know Jesus, but then they leave them as babies. They run a nursery ministry for new believers. And may that never be said of us. May we be serious about maturity in the faith. Would we say that every part of our church is working properly and every member is fully engaged in ministry? Let us commit ourselves to every member ministry, to commit to see that all of us have a role to play. Each of you in your bulletin has a little half sheet you received on the way in, and if you didn't grab one, there's more at the door. It's okay. And there's two reasons that I'd love for you to fill this out this morning as sort of an application of this sermon. First, there's a place to put your name and contact info. We need to update some of our records and make sure we know, got the right phone numbers, emails, all that fun stuff, right? We might send you an occasional email update. We're not going to blow you up, I promise. But there's a second part on there. It asks about membership, and for those of you who maybe been attending for a long time and and haven't haven't taken that plunge, I want to invite you to check the box that you're interested in becoming a member and we'll follow up with you. Maybe you're unsure. You can write unsure out there if you are. But there's also a section regarding every member ministry. And there's a list of all the present, regular, ongoing ministries we have in our church that help us to fulfill the vision of the Great Commission. And if I missed one and you think of it, you can write it in there. That's okay. But I want to challenge you to check one of those places you believe that you can serve here in this body or maybe even a ministry outside of our walls that's doing work that you can serve in. And the leader of that ministry will follow up with you in the days ahead so that all of our members can be engaged in ministry together. 
You can look at that list that's there. Maybe you could serve. If, if those aren't places, you can think of places outside our body that are doing great work. The Way, Alpha, in Hopkinsville, Simple Blessing, so many places we can serve to bring the gospel to the 77% of our community who does not, who's not connected to church and likely not connected to Christ. And you can drop those in the basket on your way out this morning. But let me close here. All authority has been given to Jesus. He has commissioned us to go and make disciples and plant churches among all the nations to teach all that Jesus has commanded and he promises to be with us always even until the end of the age. All of us have a role to play and he's given us the keys of the kingdom to show us that authority and that responsibility has been given to us. There is truly nothing more important in the world than that our church would make Jesus' last command our first priority. Let's stand and let's pray together. Father in heaven, you have given us an incredible commission, one that is not fulfilled overnight, one that the church has been at for two thousand years and maybe at for a whole lot longer but we trust your promise that you're with us we trust your assurance that it will be accomplished and lord we pray that each of us would commit ourselves first to be disciples of jesus if there's someone here today who has not committed their life to following you that they would see that you died and rose again to give them everlasting life and to call them to follow you in repentance and faith. Lord, I also pray that we'd be serious to be fully devoted disciples of Jesus who are serious about growing together, teaching all that Jesus commanded, and doing it in our life. Thank you for being with us as we gather. And we pray that we're honored as we worship and as we head out of here for your honor and your glory. Help us however we need to respond to do so now. And we ask and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.